are we uh, are we streaming? So they can see me and hear me. How you doing? Oh, cool. Well, no, I mean, never mind. Hey, well, okay. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Welcome op to uh, Open Door Community Church. I'm Joe, and Brian decided to come too. Hi. It's good to see everybody. Yes, I am excited to be here. I had a vacation last week. Last, well, two weeks ago, sort of. Well, it depends on what you just consider the first day of the week. Yeah. If Sunday is, which is what I consider it to be, then it was a week and it's two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because you left. Not on in Sunday. the last seven days. You, you left on Sunday two weeks ago. Right. Right after church. Yes. Which I think is brave. Oh, it was a great trip. I had a good trip. No, I didn't say, oh, you had a, I'm just saying, if I'm driving someplace long distance, I want to be on the road like at 6 a.m., and I don't want to stop except for food, and, I, and it's drive-through only. But Yeah, well, we but, stopped no, that's halfway. I feel, Jan, but I'm a guy, and I'm wrong. Well, no, not always. Um, no, we, went, we, we drove halfway last Sunday, but on the return trip, we got up and we left at around 8 o'clock, 7.30, and yeah, we drove straight through. Yeah. Didn't stop for other than gas. Did you eat? We brought food with us. Well, you are a miserable person. <laughs> we made it from Anaheim yes. in 14 hours. Did you eat Braunschweiger sandwiches? That's what I want to know. Yeah. We bring a snack food. And Who remembers Braunschweiger? Who likes Braunschweiger? I don't even know what Braunschweiger is. It's, oh. Oh, man. Liverwurst on Ritz crackers is what we ate as kids on long trips. Uh, no. <laughs> With all of that, let's move forward. Hey, good, good. thanks for everybody for being here. We do have a few announcements. If you could scroll to that, Jack, I'd appreciate it. Um, church business meeting after the potluck today. So Wait, after, after the, the potluck or before? After the potluck. You, oh, come on. Holding us hostage. What is wrong with you? Because one of the things that we really needed to, to, to we realized over the, the, that year or so that we were gone from being able to have in person is we got really disconnected, right? Didn't we all kind of feel disconnected? That's why we're going to start doing potlucks again. That's why we're going to do things like small groups, which is, I think, the next announcement. Is, there, is that in there? No, Back to Church Sunday is next, but um, small groups. We're working on getting some small groups. We're going to talk about that in the business meeting. Back to Church Sunday is next week. We're going to start trying to get things back to normal. Um, I don't know if, if, if the, 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 the church Bible study before Sunday school that Johnny has been leading will start next week or the week after, but it'll be led by Terry um, until Johnny is fully recovered. Uh, she has some, some interesting video series she wants to do. Something about walking in his footsteps. I don't know. Sounds interesting. Um, but back to the church next Sunday. So if you know somebody who has not been coming and needs to get back to church, we have some, some invitations for you. They're right back there. You can get them after church. Um, yeah. Any, any other announcements? Bridal shower next week. No, two weeks from now um, for Pastor Jesse. Um, and us guys are going to go hang out and do some things afterwards. We've, I've heard bowling. I've heard mini golf. Do you guys like to play mini golf? Come join us afterwards. Um, if you need more information about the, uh, the bridal shower on the 26th, talk to Sharon or Kathy, and, um, and they'll get you the information about that. Here's the small groups one right there. Boom, right there. Small groups will be, because we just need to get reconnected, guys. And as we'll talk about it in the meeting, it doesn't have to be every week. It doesn't have to be, it's just to be something to get together. Maybe it's a golf group. Maybe it's a board game group. I'm thinking about a board game. Just once a month. I don't want to play board games with you. Why not? You are so competitive. You take all the joy out of it, man. <sighs> well, then play with just your family here. Um, but board games, I think there may be, a, um, may be a crafting group. So if you're interested in something like that, please let us know. We really uh, we want to try and get people to connect. Uh, maybe we do a, a, a tailgating party once a month. <laughs> 
So at, uh, at for a Ducks game. All right. Anything else? I think that's all of our uh, all of our uh, announcements. Do you have any announcements? Anything going on? How was your week? I don't think we have time. We don't have time. No, we've talked a lot. I'm sure there's people online who are like, I've already moved on. <laughs> if you want to know about my trip to Bend, just let me know afterward. Can't concert got canceled. A lot of smoke. And you learned, and, and Sam learned to love ping pong. Ping pong. Yep. That's exciting. The boys like ping pong a lot too. All right. Um, well, we're going to be um, taking it. We're going to jump back into Mark this week, Mark chapter 9. We're looking at the, the transfiguration of Jesus. And um, what I want you to hear is, is what we see here is just a hint of a foretaste of what's coming for all of us, and including no shame. No shame. All right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for, for your love for us in Jesus. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we worship you and we praise you. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your voice um, in the music, in the, in, uh, in the conversations with each other, um, and, and through the message. Uh, as we come here this morning, we have so many things that we're worried about, so many things that are burdening us, um, whether it's physical things, relational things, Maybe it's financial. It's just, maybe it's just the darkness of the world. Um, maybe it's joyful things. But all of those things we lay at your feet today as, as we come into your presence. Help us to worship you for who you are, Jesus, who you are, Father, and what you've done for us. Father, in this time that we have together, just that reminder of why we each individually have been called here. What you ask of each of us and why we sing. Not so that the people around us can be heard, not so people can hear my voice, but so that we can sing about you, to you, to thank you, to recognize your love. about these other things, but just to focus on you. Thank you, Lord. Time to pray. Go ahead, take a seat. Father, help us to get beyond ourselves beyond our limited, narrow-minded thinking, our hyper-focus on things that aren't you. To get so wrapped up in how we have failed, how we've messed up, who we've let down. And to recognize that in your eyes, it's just not as important as our relationship with you, fostering that relationship and to allow that to seep out of our pores and into all of our interactions outside of this, that we can draw you in in this time through the music, through the word, dwell in us and let us live as you, as a model of you, to allow that joy and love to be a to, to be something a force that changes this world thank you father let it be so Jesus amen hey come on yep all right hey before we get into the uh, the sermon I would like everybody who is connected to schools to come up because I want to pray over you this is you know as we talked about backpack buddies we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pray for that I want to take a minute and pray over you for the school year so that includes teachers aides children somebody who's in any way connected to the schools come on yep come on come on all of you, everybody up here Come on, right up here in front. 
Yep, right there. Come on, squish on in there. You're going to be on camera no matter what, guys. It's fine. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You have your mask on, Jack and Dawson. They can't see you, so there you go. Come on, Jack. <coughs> come on, Dawson. Yeah, see what I did? <laughs> All right. Let's, um, I'm going to pray for a moment and then open it up if any of you wants to pray um, for them. I'll, I'll let that, and then I'll say amen to them. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for, for these, these people right here, and I pray for your, your hand to be on them, guide them this school year, protect them physically, protect them spiritually. Pray that they grow this year into godly people, uh, be, with their, be with their teachers. Father, we pray that you would protect them physically in, in all kinds of ways, whether it's from COVID, whether it's from bullying, um, whether it's just from just general sickness. Uh, we pray that they would be protected, Jesus, this year. We pray that you would um, uh, protect them from, from lies, but also help them to learn. Um, give their parents uh, wisdom in how to, how to raise these, these people well in godliness, give, them, give your, their parents patience, give them uh, 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 the grace to get through this. Thank you, Lord, that they can go back to school. We pray, we, we pray that, that you would be with them in, in all of what's happening in the next about nine months. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Naked glory. We're going to be talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. It's a pretty well-known passage if you've been around the church very much. It's a, it's, and we're going to go through the story, but in, in brief, Jesus goes up on the mountain with his guys, and there he changes before them, and they see him totally exposing who, his glory. He's, expo he, he's naked in the sense of he's exposed for who he actually is in all of his glory. His beauty. Beauty and glory, by the way, in the Bible is virtually the same concept. His beauty, his, beauty, his power, his authority. And what I want you to hear what I want you to hear in this is in, in this transfiguration is, is, and I'm using this word naked because for us naked means shame, right? If I'm naked, I'm, that, 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 no one needs to see this, right? But Jesus is naked in that sense, but there's no shame. There's just glory. And what I want you to hear is this is a foretaste for you. That there's so many applications, but the big one I wanted you to hear today is there's coming a day where you will also be fully exposed to all of creation. And instead of feeling shame in that moment, you'll have glory, you'll have majesty, you'll have honor. Peter, talking about this moment, in, his, in, in Second Peter, said this, For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice borne to him on the, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I want you to hear that this description of Jesus here is your future. In fact, it's your now, but we don't really... But like Jesus before this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's veiled. We don't get to see it. But there's coming a day you will. So that's what I want you to hear is no shame. Okay? With that in mind, let me, let, let's talk a little bit about the context. Talk a little bit about what, let's put this whole thing in context and, and what we're going to see here. Now there's a couple of pieces here of context here. One is the cross. This, this passage is... Is it, it right before it? He's talking about how he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be handed over and resurrected on the third day. That happens right before this moment, and it's and it's textually connected because he says six days after that, he does this, 
And on the way down, they talk about the cross as well, about him being suffered and killed again. That followed up immediately, and it's again textually connected, with the last final exorcism. We're going to talk about that. And then again, the cross. So it goes cross, transfiguration, cross, last exorcism, cross again. The whole thing is saturated with the cross, him suffering and dying. And what it's meant to do is it's meant for you to lay side by side this incredible, glorious picture of Jesus with this seemingly not contradictory vision of Jesus being murdered and humiliated and shamed. And it's like, how do the two go together? Well, one informs the other. He has it, he doesn't lose his glory in that moment. In fact, that is his glorious moment. That's what he is. But that's one of the contexts. The other one has to do with spiritual warfare. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, as I just mentioned, it, right following after this is the final exorcism in the book of Mark. Up to this point, there's been a lot of them. But after this point, it doesn't come up again in the entire book. A major theme ends right here. And it's not particularly a remarkable one. There's a few com- couple of interesting things and a couple of lines that we particularly remember. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So there's a couple of ones in here, but it's not really remarkable. What's remarkable is that it's connected to this. And the other part of it that has to do with the spiritual warfare piece is where it's at. And it may not be obvious in the text, and it's certainly not bluntly spelled out, but this is occurring in the northern end of the Lake of Galilee. Now, we've met this area once before in chapter 5 with the the man of Legion, and they cross the the sea with the big storm. This is Mount Hermon. This is the place where, where Jews at the time believed that this is where the fallen angels came down, touched down on earth, and they made their pact to rebel against God. This is ground zero for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of darkness, right here. This is the place, this is the most sinister, evil place from from a biblical perspective on, on all of planet earth. And it is here that Jesus is saying, I claim this spot. It is a it is a declaration that that which is the source of all evil, I'm defeating it. Right, and I'm going to start right here in your stronghold, right here. So that's a little bit of what's happening in here, is this, this sense of he's declaring he's king over all of them. The final piece of context is if we look at the entire book of, of Mark, is this section is answering the question that began in verse 1. In verse 1, it says this, of the book of Mark, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And the question is, what does that mean? Who, what does it mean to be the Messiah? What does it mean to be the Son of God? And this context tells us what it is. This, this little section here encapsulates all of what he has is, is, said up to this point. This is it. He is the divine warrior, God in the flesh, who is rescuing, who's restoring humanity back into fellowship with God. That's what he is. He is defeating the powers of evil. He's, def- he's, 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 he's restoring us back into fellowship with God, living again in the presence of God. That is what it means to be the Son of God. That's what it means to be the Messiah. He's the one who is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And we can see it here. The other theme that goes with this comes right after that, and it's the summary statement of what Jesus said. At the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom of God has come. The time is now. What does that mean that the kingdom of God has come? This picture tells us what it means. What we're seeing, what these these three men see with Jesus at the top of the mountain, that's what kingdom come means is what we're going to see right there. And I'm going to unpack all of that. I'm just trying to give you a basic, broad sense of what's happening in this text. And there's also a lot of Exodus themes here. We'll we'll point out a few of them, but it's, they're everywhere in here. And that has a significance with all of this as well. And I'll point some of them out. So let's just look at the story. Um, Oh, there is one other piece of that. There's also some Eden-like pieces here, which again, I'm going to talk about. 
So let's just read the story. And as I said, we're going we're to see some of the Exodus themes. We're going to see some of the, the kingdom themes. We're going to see what, is it, what does this mean for who Jesus is and the application that we're going to get through to all of this. Is, so what does that have to do with us? Well, one of the applications is no shame. Okay? So let's walk through the story. It begins. I'm actually going to begin right before it in verse 1. And this is right after Jesus is talking about going to the cross. And he says, truly, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Now, that might seem like a little bit of a problem because Jesus didn't come and all of those people died. So what is he talking about? He immediately fulfills this in the next couple of verses with the transfiguration. I'm going to explain that as we go. So, but immediately after this, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, John with him. They led him up a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before him. Going up a mountain, this is, this is one of those Exodus themes. There's this there's, there's Moses meeting with the elders on Mount Sinai, um, and we're going to see some more of them, but this is one of them. It all happens on a mountain, and that there's a small group with him. That's also part of the Moses Exodus language that's going on here. And transfigured, he's, he's not, it's not a vision they see. It's not something that, that they, they, they kind of hallucinate. He's physically changed before them. There is no precedent in any of the Old Testament with this. There's no precedent for this moment in any ancient literature. Any ancient literature anywhere. In, any of the, in the Greek world, Roman world, Asian world, this moment, there's nothing like this, where a human being is suddenly looks divine before their eyes. This is what happens. And what does it look like? His clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them. And the point is, is not laundry. The point is, is this is not normal. It's, it's, it's the radiance. He's radiating glory. He's radiating his divinity here. It's like he took off his clothes metaphorically and going, this is who I really am. I'm showing, you, showing the world who is. This is the guy who is sleeping in the boat with them. This is the guy that they've been spending day in and day out. This is the guy they've been eating with every morning. This is the guy that they've been listening to in the synagogues. Could you ever, ever think that they would ever see Jesus ever the same again? Can you imagine seeing a person that you've lived with for three, two years, and suddenly you realize this isn't a normal human being? There's a divinity here. This is what happens. And then there appeared next to them, next to him, Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. These two probably represent the, uh, the Old Testament, both the law with Moses. Moses is nearly synonymous with the law, and Elijah is considered the leading, the, the, the uh, kind of archetype of what a prophet is. He, is the, he, he represents prophets. Moses represents the law. In other words, this is the, this is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament all is leading to Jesus. They are subservient. Moses, from a, from a Jewish perspective, you don't get higher than Moses. Moses is at the top. And Jesus is above him. And he's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the lawgiver. He's greater than all the others. This is God in the flesh. And they're talking with Jesus. Now Luke 9 pulls in what they're talking about. They say he's, they're talking about his exodus. Some translations might put departure, but I think it's much more appropriate to put exodus because there's exodus themes here. And exodus means more than just simply departure. It might mean his leading out of the people. Because what is the exodus story? It's that they're the people of God are in bondage in Egypt. Oh, this thing is going to drive me nuts. Um, they're in bondage. They can't worship God appropriately. They're out of the promised land. And Moses leaves them. They depart from 
Egypt to go where God has set aside a land for them. There's whole returning back to Eden images in the Exodus story. And that's what Jesus does, is he's our exodus out of the bondage to evil powers, out of our exodus to sin and to shame and all of that, and he's leading us back home. So this is what they're talking about. Now this is the thing, now Peter... Peter, in the middle of this, says something rather odd, and we're going to focus on that. He says, teacher, rabbi, hey, this is a great thing, man. Let's put up three shelters. Let's three, put three tabernacles, tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he thinks he's got his theology right. He thinks he understands it right, and he's almost right, but not quite. I'll explain that in a moment, but let me finish the story. Verse 6 says he didn't understand what he was talking about because he's terrified. If you were to actually meet God, if you were to see this all through Scripture, from the beginning to the end, people, when they see God revealed like this, their response is terror. Because you are not holy and you know it in that moment. But there's coming a day where fear will not be what you'll feel. At this, there a cloud appeared. Here's another Exodus theme. By the way, going back to the Moses and the, and the Elijah, both of them met uh, God on Mount Sinai. So there's another Exodus, Mount Sinai kind of moment. And then this one here, the cloud appearing, covering them, living, and then they have this moment where they're living in the, in the presence of God. The cloud represents the very presence of God. And there's, it's, there's this glory. It's, if you can imagine maybe... A little bit like London fog. It's like living in a moment where it's literally everywhere. You can't do anything but breathe it in and breathe it out. It's, you're, you're totally encapsulated in it. It's like living under the water and it's completely covering you. And in that moment, the father says, this is my son, Jesus. This is my son. They're my servants, Jesus is my son. You need to listen to him. I love him. Listen to him. He's going to be crucified. You need to pay attention to him. Yes, Moses is great. Yes, Elijah was a faithful servant. But this is my son. The honor, the glory here. You can see why Peter said things like, this is where I heard his majestic, this is where we saw his glory, this is where he's honored. Because they see him as he actually is. He's exposed for all of his glory in this moment. And they're, and they're in this moment, they're living in the, the, the very presence of God. Suddenly after this, just to finish the story, when they looked around, it was just Jesus. Just like that. Now, I started with this one. I said, this is where the kingdom, we're going to see the kingdom of God. Verse 1 gets stumped some people, like, how can this be? Well, the reality is, is, is Peter, James, and John, they saw a foretaste. They see it. They didn't stay there, but they see a moment where it look what it looks like when the kingdom finally fully comes in all its reality. They had a taste of it. And that's what's getting at here with Peter when he says, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up shelters. See, he's got, he's got it almost right, but his timing is wrong. And what it gets at is these wor this word shelters. And I use the word tabernacles. There's a feast in the Old Testament called the Feast of Tabernacles. You can see it, in the, you can read about it in Leviticus 23. We're not going to go there. But to Leviticus thir, uh, 23, is, it's this massive day of celebration. In fact, it's called, kind of in, 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 in the nickname for it, is the day of our rejoicing. It is an it eight-day just party in the day of Israel, in Israel with dancing and singing and playing of instruments it is 
It is eight days of incredible joy. It's a day that they're remembering that in the Exodus, after, after they left, they spent a long time living in shelters with God in their midst. The pillar of fire, the cloud by day, God is with them. And not just out there, he's right with us. And it's supposed to commemorate that. But they also understood that it's, it, it's, it's a hint, it's a foretaste of what's coming, the hope of the Jewish people, of one day fully living in the presence of God. And they know that that's, what the, this, it's, that's the image here. And Peter is, dead, is, is saying, oh, I'm in the cloud. I'm living, this, this is a, this, oh, maybe this is the moment where we will finally fully live in the, in the glory of God, in the full presence of God. And it's a taste but his timing is wrong. It's not yet. This feast is, is, is the last of seven feasts, appointed feasts in the Old Testament. The first three, maybe you, you're a little bit more familiar. The very first one is Passover, which, rep, which, which is an image of Jesus dying on the cross. The next day is the next feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a day where you remove all, un, uh, un, un, all leaven from your house. Leaven is an image of sin. So it's this image of removing of sin from your home, from your life. Followed by the Feast of first fruits, Which maybe some of you might remember that Jesus is called our first fruit. It represents in these first three, Jesus' death, the Sunday, his removal of sin, and then his resurrection. It's the first taste of what's going to come. That's what a first fruit is. It's the very first fruit coming off a tree, and it's like, this is a hint of the joy of the bounty that's about to come. Those are the first three feasts in the, of, of the appointed feast, followed by one that's about 40-ish days later. What happens 40 days after Easter? Pentecost. That's based on another feast. It's, it's, it's one where it, it, it's, it's about bringing in the harvest. Followed by the last three. And sound, see if any of these sound familiar. The first one is the Feast of Trumpets, where a trumpet is loudly sounded throughout Israel. Does that sound like the return of Jesus? It's, it's supposed to picture that. Followed by the Day of Atonement, where the high priest goes in and fully makes all of the people of God clean and right with God, which is then followed by this feast here, the Feast of, Tr of Tabernacles, where having gathered the people together with the trumpet, having purified them, they now live for eight days, not just seven but seven plus one, it's a continuous, it's an image of eternity with God. That's what Peter is hearing here. That's, the, that's what he's like, oh, I get it. That, this, this is that. Yes, but not quite yet. There's a couple other pieces that I want you to hear with this. One of the practices of tabernacles is they would take water and they would, with wine, they would pour it over the sacrifice every single day in the temple. Water and wine flowing off the sacrifice. It's an image of what Jesus did. In John 7, Jesus, during the time of tabernacles, this feast, what he would do, and I don't, do I have the verse... There on the last day, he stood up as a loud voice and says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. And he's doing this as that, that water and the wine are flowing off of the sacrifice. And he's saying, he who believes in me, rivers of this water, this, this, this which is making people right with God, of this moment of living in the presence of God, it comes through me. I'm the river of life. 
And he, what he means by this is that whoever believes in him shall have the Spirit of God. One of the verses in the Old Testament that is, fit, that, that is often connected with the Feast of Tabernacles is Isaiah 12. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's this image of the, of, of the water flowing from God, from the sacrifice in this moment of great joy. Do you remember what happened when, when Jesus was pierced on the cross? John 19. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side and suddenly a flow of blood and water. Water and wine from Jesus. This is why the cross is a piece of this. Because how does the, how do people get to be able to live in the presence of God? The context tells you. The cross. This is why he has to die. So that this moment that, that, that Peter, James, John are getting of this joyful moment of being able to have, live, and tabernacle is this idea of dwelling. We're going to live here. We're not, this isn't temporary. We're going to permanently live in the presence of God. How does that happen? It's the cross. That's, how, that, that's what makes it possible. Water and wine. You hear communion images here. You should. That's, that's the point. And you can see it at the end. Oh, by the way, there's one more here, one more image here. Jesus at the same time said, I am, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not live in darkness. Did you also know that at that time, they would light candles so bright and everywhere in Jerusalem so that the, ent the entire city looked like daylight during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so in the midst of that, Jesus says, I am the light. I am what fills this place. I'm the one who lives, not in the, who enables people to live in this light, in this moment of living within the presence of God forever. And we can end up seeing this like in Revelation 21, where it says, I, I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord Almighty and the, and the, and the Lamb are its temple. Temple is a representation. How do you live in the presence of God? They, we, everything is temple here. And in that city, they don't need a sun, they don't need a moon, they don't shine out. Why? Because the glory of God is its light. And the lamb is the lamp that which that light comes out. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And no one, and one, and no, no day will the gates ever be shut because there's no more night. There's no darkness. And the glory of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because they're not shameful anymore. Yeah. And the angel showed me the river of water. See that river of water again? Why, what's it flowing from? From the throne, because the throne, his sacrifice, that's his throne. And down the middle of the street, and each side of the river stood the tree of life, Eden returned yeah and there will be no more curse yeah and they will see his face this is the moment where they see the face of God on the mountain and this is what we're seeing here it's this image and in that moment as we see in Psalm 50 this is the moment of praise this is the moment of praising in his presence, in his sanctuary, in the very presence of God with him. With land, praise him with mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet. Praise him with, with lute and with harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Do you hear the party? The joy? Praise him with cymbals. Praise him with loud, crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is the moment that Peter thinks he's entering into. It's the taste he's getting. Because he's, he's, he's in the glory cloud. He's like, 
oh, we got, we, we got to build temple, we got to build shelters, because, right, that's what we do in this moment. Not yet. Jesus is naked and ashamed, and we see who he really is. But in this moment is a hint for you and me. See, Jesus can be fully exposed for who he is, and there's no shame there, right? You see his glory. You see his, his majesty. You see his honor. And one day, that'll be us. You know, as he said here, you know, this is, this is, what, this is how Peter described it. He received glory. He received honor. He received from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory, this is my son. In Genesis chapter 2, after God has created them and they're in the right relationship, back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve, it, was sa it says, were naked and unashamed. Because shame has to do with the fact that we're we fail, right? Because we're moral, because there's things about us that are unpresentable. Ultimately, sin. He's returning us to that moment. In Genesis 2, we, humanity lived in the presence of God. Remember that. They, walk, they met God daily walking in the, in, 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 in the Garden of Eden. As it says here, you know, in chapter 3, we ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven. Oh, no, 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 go back here. But then they sinned, and listen to what it said. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and wife hid themselves. Why? Because of shame. The Lord called him, where are you? He wants a relationship. And I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I hid. See, that's what shame is. It makes us afraid. It hides. Hides from each other. We don't want to expose who we really are because we know we're going to be condemned or ridiculed. But ultimately, we, we hide from God. But we're designed to be naked and unashamed. That's our original, that's our correct state. And this is what Jesus is bringing us back to. So that one day, that description is true of us. Instead of, instead of shame, we have honor. Instead of Instead of dirty, ugly, embarrassment, we have glory. We have beauty. Instead of feeling unimportant, you have status. You're his child. Can you... I know it's challenging, but it, try to imagine a day where all of creation sees you for all that you actually are, all that you've done, all of it. Dropping the fig leaf and seeing you. And what they see is Jesus' glory. Because that's what the gospel is, is that you are clothed with, with Christ, that his glory becomes your glory. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. All of, your, all of the shame, all of your sin, all your faults, that's been laid on the cross. That's what the cross has done. It's breaking the power of those things in your life that cause you to feel shame and gotten rid of it. This is a foretaste of that. that you can feel naked and unashamed. But I understand we live in a day where that's not the case. That glory is hidden. 
But as I've talked about before, let me say again about feelings. We feel ashamed. And feelings are a really good indicator of what you think about something, but they're not necessarily accurate. Anorexics see themselves as overweight, but we know they're not. It doesn't line up with reality, does it? They look in the mirror and they go, that is not okay. But the reality is, if there may be actually underweight. Feelings and your perceptions may not be accurate. It's the same thing. You may look in the mirror and you may see shame. You may see embarrassment. You may see dirty. You may see ugly. You may see not measuring up. Unimportant. But God sees his son in you. And one day that will be the case. You will feel like you're enough. You will feel the honor and the glory and the majesty and the status that Jesus has purchased for you. And in that day, you will live in the presence of God, naked and unashamed because of Christ. That is what Jesus, our divine warrior, our savior, our redeemer, has done for you. That's what kingdom come will be like naked and unashamed in the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you see beyond our sin, that you love us even while we're sinful. And Lord, I know that we struggle with, 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 with shame and with ways that we don't measure up. We, we, we live in terror and, and wanting to hide from people. Because we know the condemnation is likely to come from them. And sometimes, even if it doesn't come, we do it, our, we, we condemn ourselves. And I pray for myself, for us here, that you would help us increasingly see ourselves and, and, and believe that the day of your coming will make us like you, Jesus, that you will give us your glory, that, that, that there will come a day where we will truly be naked and unashamed in your presence and before all of creation. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to come to communion. And I want you to think of some way that you know that you fall, you've fallen. Some way, something about yourself that you wish no one would ever know. Some fault, some failure, something that's maybe been done to you. Maybe it's something you've done. Something you're like, I ain't telling anybody that. Well, Jesus knows, and you know. And when you come to take communion, I want you to, to take the moment to go, this is to remove that feeling. Help me to see myself rightly. Not because I've earned it, but because Jesus has achieved that cleansiness, that cleansing on the cross, which is what we're remembering.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed. On the night before he hung naked on a cross. Humiliated. Abandoned. Spit on. Abused. Shamed. He took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to accomplish it for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he, uh, he took the, the bread and he says, this is the, the, and I have it backwards. He says, this is, this is my body, my life. I am the sacrifice of which over which the blood is poured, over which the water is poured to provide the forgiveness, the holiness that you need to live with me forever. Come, take the elements, and then we'll share them together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Lord, help us to recognize that no judgment made by a human being, including ourselves, is valid if it doesn't line up with yours, because you are the judge. And we judge ourselves a lot, and we judge our fellow man, and we listen to those, those comments and those condemnations. But we thank you, Jesus, that you are more than our judge. You are our redeemer. You are our cleanser. Purify us. We believe. Help our unbelief. The body and blood of Christ given for you. We give you the praise and we look forward to the day of, 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 of the great rejoicing. The great rejoicing or we know all of that stuff is behind us. Enjoy eternally in your presence, naked and unashamed is our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for being with us. May God bless you so much. May he bless you wherever you are. If you're here, we'd love to have you stay and join us for the potluck, and then we'll have a business meeting afterwards. Um, God bless. We'll see you next week.